0: Today on the Topping Show, Starbucks Howard Schultz versus Bernie Sanders, Twitter rolls back from only promoting paid users, GameStop to refocus on brick and mortar, Macy's to get a new CEO, Elon Musk and other IT leaders call for a pause on AI development, Alex Jones trends on Twitter, 44% of Americans work a second job, China owns more than 1 million acres of farmland in Oklahoma, and PepsiCo reveals a new logo. All of that and much, much more on the Topping Show. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today. Today's episode of the Topic Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN and Topping Technologies. ExpressVPN helps protect your online data, and Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. If you're a business owner or an IT leader, use a little assistance. You can reach them at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Now, jumping into the business part of the podcast, Twitter announced that they're going to roll back their recent policy of only promoting paid users earlier this week elon had noted that only paid verified accounts would have their statements promoted so that they would show up on the for you section of the twitter timeline thanks to severe backlash and a lot of publicity behind the disdain behind that business decision elon has decided to reverse it thankfully although interestingly enough that actually was a big incentive. I thought I actually might upgrade to Twitter Blue or whatever he is calling their upgraded version these days. Granted, I don't have a lot of followers on Twitter, but I'm trying to use it as a business mechanism to increase sales from my IT company as well as get some more views from my media company. Granted, my number of followers is pretty small, but I'm debating if you pay for that and it can have the ability to get promoted. I mean, realistically, what's the most effective way to grow on Twitter? Unfortunately, if it's a situation where you need to pay to play, it's it's one of those interesting situations where backpedaling from this took away an incentive that a lot of people had to sign up for Twitter Blue, and he really does need to increase the revenue and the overall profitability of the platform. As noted before, Twitter historically Twitter has been just a money pit, just bleeding through capital consistently throughout most of their history, and one of his biggest challenges is. How do we make Twitter profitable? And he's done a fair amount. He has evolved unique ideas and Twitter blew just the idea of it. That was a, that was a smart idea to have authorized paid accounts because now everyone is copying him. The whole industry said he was crazy for doing it, but now you have Facebook doing it, which Facebook also owns Instagram. So both those platforms have that authorization or subscription service where you appear as authorized or so you see more legitimate. Plus you also have Snapchat rolling it out. So other tech platforms are copying it. So I almost debate if I should put this under the business blunder section of the podcast. So it was good for Optics. A lot of people are happy that he's rolling back that. But I think he does need to continue to think of extra incentives to have people sign up for Twitter Blue. So again, they get more revenue and get the company to actually be a profitable business. Now, other interesting business news. GameStop is going to refocus on brick and mortar. When the GameStop chairman took over, he shifted the company's focus to e-commerce, partially to make investors happy, which is one of the realities. Once you get into leadership of publicly traded companies and you have multiple investors and stakeholders that are interested in the outcomes, a lot of companies will do things based on, unfortunately, based on buzzwords and publicity. You have a lot of companies going to the cloud, and especially for IT needs, where it's not your computer. So instead of having this computer on my desk, it's someone else's computer in a warehouse halfway across the globe. Rudimentarily speaking, simply put, that's the concept of the cloud. It's not your compute. It's not your data storage. It's someone else's somewhere else. And a lot of companies are doing that partially. It, it does, in some instances, decrease cost and make it a little bit simpler. But in some instances, they're doing it just because they can put it on their annual letter to the shareholders saying, we have a cloud strategy because it sounds impressive. So GameStop, they decided to shift an e-commerce partially to make everyone happy, which was an interesting concept but it also disincentivizes users to go to their brick and mortar stores which in my opinion that's one of their biggest strengths and it turns out the ceo the leadership agrees with me now because if you need something very similar to the concept of a best buyer target if i need an hdmi cable or if i need a processor for a computer today i don't need it in 20, i can't get it wait 24 hours for it to be shipped to me or for me to buy it from my distributors i need it right now you go to that brick and mortar that is the value of the brick and mortar in many sense and Game, GameStop had also a retro video game program, and that was online. So they had a a program or, where if you wanted like a Nintendo 64 game or a Nintendo NES game, any of the old cartridge-based systems as well as some old CD-based systems, you can actually go onto their website and you can purchase the product. Now, the downside of that was a lot of inaccurate data and inaccurate products. And I think GameStop, they thought they were getting into a video game business, expanding in that regard, but... It turned out to be it's much more of a collectible business or a collection business when it comes to those old game cartridges and because there's a premium set on those values there's a lot of counterfeits now a really good youtube channel called pat the nes punk punk so pat the nes punk he actually has a lot of experience in the gaming industry and being a collector and he talks about the programming more extensively than i retroenchley put they start they launched this program there's a lot of counterfeits because some of these games are worth you're not talking 20 30 dollar games they have a couple games that are thousands of dollars and another thing with collectibles is a lot of people will pay for like for example a Nintendo 64 cartridge they'll pay extra if the label is in certain condition like the physical color graphic label on the cartridge they'll put a premium on because it is better quality so it gets to this very interesting area where Is it art? Is it entertainment? Is it a video game cartridge in and of itself? You do have people selling NES or Nintendo Entertainment cartridges for thousands, hundreds of thousands, even a million dollars. So it is very interesting cultural moment as well as video games start to be more appreciated than the traditional. This is just a piece of hardware and it's just a game. And GameStop was more of a traditional video game store where they're used to transactions with new video games. They're all the same from the factory. One might have a bump or a scratch on it, but if it's new, you just exchange it. A lot of these other games, you have very limited supply. So a lot of people debate if that program was actually profitable, but I believe they they turned down or they decreased and stopped doing that program. Because retro video games is such a hyper-fluid market, you actually have to adjust prices daily because the supply and demand is so, so fluid. It's almost like the stock market. So that's why when it comes to retro video games, you see most of the success behind those categories would be mom and pop shops or even eBay and other bidding websites because a mom and pop shop could adjust their prices daily. Because sometimes you have to with those video games because there's a lot of variables that go into retro video games that are no longer made. So it's interesting to see that GameStop is starting to refocus on the brick and mortar store and they noted that the cut from the e-commerce side of the business was one of the main reasons they were able to show a profit last quarter, which is the first time they showed a profit in two years. Now it's extremely important for them to show profit, especially because it's publicly traded. The stock market is a big indicator of how the company is doing and the public perception and confidence of the company, that profit warranted the stock, to increase by about 40 percent which is astronomical and again hindsight's 2020 too bad i didn't get some and closing down the e-commerce their revenue actually only went down by one percent so moderately negligible amount but the profits went up because they were able to decrease those costs because with any e-commerce there's a lot of back-end logistics you have warehouses packaging processing there's a lot of additional steps and costs and overhead that go into that So going forward, I think it's gonna be a good idea for them to refocus on the brick and mortar experience and focus on how to get gamers into those stores, give them a great compelling reason to spend money at their company. Everyone already knows they specialize in video games better than the other competitions, such as this hybrid stores where you have Target and Walmart where they sell video games, but it's not their core competency. Now it'll be interesting to see how they further incentivize people to go to the store. Now, other interesting retail news, Macy's is going to get a new CEO and they're one of the most iconic, fascinating retail companies ever. They've been in business for 165 years and they're known for their iconic sponsorships for the, you got the Macy's Day Parade and the new CEO is actually, or the current CEO, Jeff uh, Gennette, sorry, Jeff, G-E-N-N-E-T-T-E, Gennetti. Regardless, he's going to uh, retire in 2024. And he did a lot of great things to the company. Under his leadership, he kept the company afloat throughout the rise of Amazon.com as well as COVID-19. Now, just staying in business is a big feat because during that same period, you had many other competitors go out of business. You had, I believe it was JCPenney, Sears, and Neiman Marcus. They all went bankrupt. So they're still around, but they restructured and they changed ownership. And then you also have Macy's outperformed their competitors such as Nordstrom, kohl's so they're doing pretty darn good and he was behind the building of the company's e-commerce platform which for their business is going to help them out a lot and i think it's a good way for them to supplement their sales as well so you don't have just the brick mortar stores now he also helped fend off activist investors who were pressuring them to spin off the e-commerce into a separate entity where of course doing that you would also lose all the benefits of that including the profit revenue Now, it'll be interesting to see the new CEO is coming from Bloomingdale's, which Macy's actually owns. And the new CEO has worked there for 36 years and his name is Tony spring. So he's got a lot of experience. He already knows some of the inner workings. So that'll probably be a great thing as well. Now, other interesting note on business, Elon Musk and other leaders are are calling for a pause to AI or artificial intelligence systems. And they asked for a pause on training of AI systems. So a little over a thousand critics have signed an open letter which calls for at least a six-month pause on open experiments and tech using AI. Other prominent minds that agree with Elon include Steve Wozniak, who's the co-founder of Apple. You also have Grady Bush, who's the chief scientist at IBM, one of the most respectable long-term IT companies and providers in history. You also have Tristan Harris, who's a tech ethicist. That title's a little less impressive. That's kind of ambiguous. Where do you work or what do you do? Regardless. And you also have the OpenAI CEO, Sam Altman, asking for regulation in the industry. Now, the downside to them asking is, I don't know how realistic it is, because more and more businesses are seeing this as a competitive advantage to their business, empowering them, increasing their revenue, decreasing their costs. And a lot of companies, especially overseas, they will not stop innovation for a New York minute. And there's a lot of threats to AI. There's a lot of benefits, of course, as well. A lot of people are speculating. Are we going to get into the era of Terminator rise of the machines where they take over? Granted, you already have defense capabilities where they make their own calls or they will execute strikes without human input, which a little concerning, also fascinating, but concerning. But it'll be interesting to see if any US regulation is put on the technology or any limitations are put on the capabilities of it. And the the concern seems to be valid because it is moving exponentially quicker every day. And the technology is only getting faster, more accurate, more impressive. And it's even passed the, there's a specific test that actually you put on people to see if they can tell if they're talking to a machine or if they're talking to a person. At least the Turing test specifically. And it's passing those tests, which for throughout all my lifetime or short time, but it's never really worked. So think of when you go to a website and you have a chat bot or you're talking to, I say talking quote unquote, you're typing in questions to an online prompt on a website for homepage. You can usually tell if it's just a robot copy pasting answers based on your limited input. So based on X, Y, Z input from you, they have pre-made answers for those situations. They have other websites like my, my tech company where it just forwards a message to me. Now, It'll be, it's passing the Turing test, so it is becoming darn near hard to distinct and even undistinctable from real humans, and that part is particularly concerning. We're long past the day of the Atari 2600 and all the technologies that seem to be so simple. We have AI images and parodies of not only presidents, but also business leaders, scientists, global And those AI deepfakes are real in terms of they are so good, people can't tell the difference, which is quite concerning because with one video from a CEO of a publicly traded company, you could tank the stock, or maybe a nation state leader, you can cause war. It's it's one of those things where we're developing technologies to stop it, or rather to recognize when it is an AI image. But it's the whole cat and mouse game, similar to IT security. It'll be interesting to see if the government or anyone steps in to say we're going to slow down the innovation of AI. I'm not very, I don't, in terms of the match Gateball, I would say the outlook is not good in terms of, I don't see that innovation slowing down, regardless, even if there's a law put in place, it'll be interesting to see how that progresses, but many businesses are starting to use that technology and we'll see how it goes from there. Now, interestingly enough, going to the culture section of the podcast, one of the best places to find culture is Twitter. You'll find darn near every anything and everything there. Some of it is fascinating now. Joe Rogan was recently interviewing Shane Gillis, who's another stand-up comedian, and they were talking about how Alex Jones is being fined for one billion dollars um, for lying and, def- and defaming the families of the Sandy Hook massacre a couple years back. However, politicians and corporate news outlets who lied about Iraq's WMDs or weapons of mass destruction faced zero consequences. So that's an interesting contrast. And one billion dollars is actually more than the GDP of most country uh, many countries and there's this video going around which I found fascinating so he, this was when he was being on the stand talking with the lawyers during his case and I thought it was interesting this so this, this is a video but they added in the clapping and Joe Rogan's response but this is interesting. One of the things you've been talking about on your show is your allegation that government officials are aiding in pedophilia, <coughs> child trafficking, and the grooming of children, right? You mean like what Jeffrey Epstein did with the ah! And that was extremely entertaining, to say the least. It's one of those things where he says a lot of crazy stuff, But the more concerning thing is when some of those things turned out to be true. And for years, he had had that conspiracy theory of the island. And now we know that's actually a real thing, horrifically enough. Uh, He's still officially banned on Twitter. Elon hasn't let him back on. And Elon specifically called out that he wouldn't bring on back Alex on the platform. So he's he's still not on that platform. It'll be interesting to see. He was recently on Steven Crowder's platform, which... They're now doing their exclusive mug club through Rumble, which is a great alternative media outlet. Think of it, YouTube, but less censorship, so it's great. However, the limitation to that technology or that platform is much fewer people go to it. So there's always a trade-off. Now, another interesting cultural note: according to a couple of reports, 44% of Americans work a second job, which is astonishing. That's a 13% increase from 2020. Now, this is a. Re- this is according to Lending Club report, so that's the entity that came out earlier this week, and this also, this also might also be a redefinition. So back in 2021, there is a new law, thanks to the presidentials American Rescue Plan Act of 2021, and like most political documents and initiatives, the irony in that is unpalatable. Now, according to that act they're gonna rescue you by taxing you more but so according to that act if you make more than $600 you have to report it to the IRS and claim it as taxable income so if you pay someone 600 or 601 dollars to mow your lawn rake your leaves or help you unload trucks at your grocery store whatever you do they're now an employee or you have to 1099 them and they have to treat it as income so that might be call, that might be part of the equation of why people are working two or three jobs and I suppose I am too with all with my media company on top my IT company, but it's also one of those concerning things. So, according to FlexJobs, they found that 69% of employed professionals want or have a second job. Now, this is coming off of a 40-year high inflation, costing Americans an additional five thousand two hundred dollars. And another concerning part is according to the report, a noted sixty two percent of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. That is a increase of two percent going from january 2023 to f- march of 2023 and it's one of those sad things where i absolutely believe it and even i live in one of the uh, the i well i'm a little biased i would say the best state in the united states but texas has one of the strongest economies in the united states partially because more businesses keep moving here because we are good for business both lower cost of living but also businesses have less tax Burdens here, and there's less laws, rules, and regulation. So, just moving a business here, you're saving millions, or even billions of dollars. Look at Tesla; they saved a lot of money moving their headquarters from California to Austin, Texas. And Austin is actually more of the expensive part of Texas. Texas, but even just doing that, they saved a lot of money. So, but even in my area, I'm seeing a lot of people I know who are working two, three jobs just to try to meet ends meet as they try to combat inflation and it's not just inflation but the taxes are going it's it's a very unfortunate situation and i don't see the situation being remediated anytime soon unfortunately with the inflation just getting worse and worse it's the rate seems to be decreasing but it's still advancing unfortunately and a lot of americans are struggling with that and uh, hopefully people will be able to come together and come to to some unique solutions. Ideally decreasing regulation and taxes would be great because it would help businesses and have that ripple effect of throwing a stone in a pond where you have savings throughout the whole industry and the whole ecosystem. So it'll be interesting how that progresses. Now going over to the politics part of the podcast, which this is one of my most fascinating things is when well most things in life you have the amalgamation of politics, culture, as well as business. Now, this is a perfect example, the Starbucks CEO versus Bernie Sanders. Now, I should say former CEO, Howard Schultz, recently stepped down. He was recently called to the Senate under the threat of a subpoena to address allegations that Starbucks have been breaking labor laws and fighting attempts for employees to unionize. Howard was serving as CEO for the third time recently, as recently as a couple days ago, actually. And he is a longtime board member and majority shareholder. And you could also give him credit to... I would say basically being the founder of starbucks it's very similar to mcdonald's where the mcdonald's brothers started mcdonald's and they had a couple sites but ray Kroc was a guy that came in and approached them with this plan to franchise it and grow it exponentially so it's one of those things where thanks to ray Kroc, mcdonald's mcdonald's serves over a billion people a day i believe it is one of the most is the most served restaurant every day in the on the planet and is one of the most successful franchise stores in history now schultz had a very similar instance where he met the founders of starbucks a couple years in he decided to buy them out and he helped expand it exponentially now he led the first coffee chain through a massive expansion i believe from 1986 to 2000 then to 2008 to 2017 and he gained prominence in 2019 when he explored running for president as an independent candidate which as a business owner and having a lot of those similar i could appreciate a lot of those libertarian independent thoughts i think that was pretty pretty neat of him to do now for years, he was actually, ironically enough, for years, Howard Schultz was praised by Democrats in particular for paying employees well above the minimum wage and giving them unparalleled benefits compared to the competition. Unfortunately, this is a culture issue. Nothing is ever good enough and whatever you give is not ever enough. In many instances, I feel. I actually remember I had a family member who worked at Starbucks growing up and my sister is a cash not a cashier, she's a barista, which sounds a lot fancier, and that was part of her role, but she was making 30% more than all of her friends when compared to their hourly rate. She got benefits, and so it it wasn't just healthcare benefits, she got dental, I believe, as well as as college tuition benefits and stock options. For being a barista, for serving coffee, hot bean water in a cup, and you're getting unparalleled benefits. So in terms of like a retail experience or a restaurant experience early in your career or high school job, that is astronomically amazing. It's one of those things where we should have a foreign exchange program where people go to work for a day in Cuba. There's a reason my family never unpacked, but many reasons, actually. But it's a great opportunity to work at Starbucks. They have all those benefits. And it's also, you get to work in a warm, climate-controlled building, something that is completely foreign to our ancestors. I mean, my grandpa worked in an aluminum foundry in Michigan seven days a week for years, which is basically the hottest. It is... Very challenging, and he never complained once. And now you have kids on TikTok literally crying at Starbucks because their orders are too complicated. That was a real trend. I kid you not. Nevertheless, that fascinating how all these things come together. But getting back on track now, Howard Schultz has called before, and he was talking to social, I think it's self-proclaimed socialist, Bernie Sanders, who praises countries like Venezuela and visits them. Astonishing. Now... Bernie said, quote, Over the past eighteen months, Starbucks has waged the most aggressive and illegal union busting campaign in modern history of our country, unquote. Another quote from Bernie. He said, The fundamental issue we are facing today is whether we have a system of justice that applies to all, or whether billionaires with large corporations can break the law with impunity. Now Howard Schultz rebut or sorry, quote, now Howard Schultz rebuttal was, quote, Sir, Starbucks coffee unequivocally and let me set the tone for this very early on has not broken the law unquote now howard schultz also noted we want to treat everyone with respect and dignity however I have the right and the company has the right to have a preference and our preference is to maintain the direct relationship we have with our employees who we call partners unquote and that is a very valid concern I read I've read books by Walmart, Home Depot, by, from their founders, a lot of retailers, and unions used to serve an important purpose a hundred years ago, back in the day, and a lot of people feel it's now a huge burden, but it's also a aggressive, combative relationship, similar to a divorce attorney or divorce lawyer. Once you get to the point, that third party has a direct incentive to hurt you and with unions the also drop at the price of goods sold and also usually I don't see it improving the customer experience it usually increased cost decreased performance the United States Postal Service comes off as one of the most famous examples now you also lose that direct relationship so instead of you talking directly with your employees having a seat at the table you're having a third party and that whole job of that third party is to make you bleed in many cases physically hopefully it doesn't get too fiscal although i'm sure their discussions get heated but it feels less like a team and more like a combative situation and i know there's certain situations where you de- you might need to have a heated debate with someone and maybe in some cases you need a moderator but to have someone whose sole job is to only look out for one party now you have an unbalance in the equation. You have the business, then you have the employee, and you have the union rep, and that exponentially increases costs. I remember it was I found it disgusting as a child being forced to join a union when I was actually at a grocery store. I didn't get any benefits about that. It was a summer job, so I was only going to be there for six months. So you would never get your dues back, but I had to pay dues for that. Unfortunately, because of the state, because of the laws of where I was working at the time, yet another reason to leave that state. Now, it'll be interesting to see how this progresses. Now, part of the allegation the employees at around 300 stores have voted to join Starbucks Workers United. Now, again, always quantify the data 300 stores that equates to around 3% of the total number of stores in the United States. Some of the controversy comes around Starbucks has shut down some of the unionized stores and fired some of the workers involved in the organizing. Now, I wish. It would be interesting if we could see the employee track records and more of the details around the situation because just being part of a union doesn't abdicate you from performance. We don't know if those employees are underperforming or overperforming. So again, we'd need more data with that specific situation. Also closing down stores that are unprofitable is not uncommon. Again you need to look into is there a single variable of why they're closing down the store? Is it because of crime? Is it because of cost? Well, also having a union increase the cost, decrease the profit. Depending on the situation of the stores, that might be a make or break. it will be interesting to see if they can prove they closed down the store just because it was that single variable of them becoming unionized. Now, the federal judges have found Starbucks violated labor rights in eight cases. However, like many instances, Starbucks is appealing that ruling. rudimentary speaking, that means they're fighting back and asking for another chance for them to prove their side of the story. So we're still waiting on the final result as it goes throughout the court proceedings. But it's an interesting situation, just they are one of the most successful companies in history and they basically invented the category of a coffee chain. And they've been around for a long time. I don't know, I haven't, to be honest, I haven't looked at their W10 or W9, W11, where I forget the fancy term for the actual paper used where you tell the stockholders, shareholders, you know, here's how we're doing fiscally. It'll be interesting to see, would the union break the business or put them out of business? Or would they have to increase the cost of goods sold to the consumer to an unattractive price point, which decreases sales? It'll be interesting to see how this plays out long-term. But a lot of people are speculating one of the reasons Howard stepped away from the situation as CEO was partially because of that friction. Because historically, they didn't have any unions and they were expand, I believe that's one of the reasons they would expand exponentially so quick. Used to be a joke, you can't throw a brick out of a window without hitting Starbucks because there's so many locations. Now, going on to another fascinating part of the politics as well as business China is buying more and more of U.S. land. Now, this specifically is going to affect the agricultural industry. Rep- Republican Senator from Oklahoma, James Lankford, 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 apologies if he's listening somehow, that'd be fascinating if it was. Um, James Lankfort bringing the issue to light and bringing up concerns that this is a security breach. Now, he specifically noted that over 1 million acres in Oklahoma farmland are owned by foreign entities, including nations like China. And China has recently doubled the number of acres that they own. Now, this also gets to, back to a joke when my friends used to tell me that China would never attack the United States or bomb the United States because they basically own the United States. And unfortunately, isn't just in terms of them purchasing a lot of intellectual property or traditional American brands, but they're also buying physical assets as well. This further proves that point or that joke, perhaps. Now, Oklahoma has more land sales to foreign entity than any other state, which I don't see the upside to allowing that to happen i'd rather american farmers own that agricultural land or american entrepreneurs have that ability to purchase that or american businesses have the ability to purchase american land you usually don't see this the other way around now langford claims that the quote these are chinese criminal organizations that are moving in and you're not going to move in and move that much money without some awareness from the chinese communist party setting it up which is certainly true in regards to China, the government heavily monitors, regulates, and participates in business there, foreign and abroad, which is actually one of the issues with TikTok, bit Byte dance, the parent company China. The reason they can't just spin off the company easily is because China doesn't want that. The government doesn't want that. So it's, you've seen it in other industries. Here is more agricultural, and Langford would like to quote, unquote, fix the quote, gap in federal law, unquote, regarding for entities ability to openly purchase agricultural land and behesting his fellow lawmakers to lawmakers to quote be attentive at what china is currently attempting to do on american soil which i think is a valid concern when he says illegal activities i'm not sure if he's talking about substances like marijuana which are illegal on a federal level but are becoming decriminalized on many states and some are allowing i believe is medical medicinal marijuana To be grown legally and distributed to authorized that's another fascinating topic in and of itself where the federal government isn't authorizing it but there's also federal laws that have a ripple effect around regulation of the industry that might be what he's attempting to say here he doesn't specify the actual specific chinese criminal organizations or if it is just a chinese mafia either way you have a foreign entity buying american land i don't think is a benefit to that now a perfect example of all things are not equal there's no private land ownership in china we can't invest there and it's actually in a law of course laws change they're fluid sometimes so there's quote there's a law quote unquote no foreigner can currently own land in china so it's one of those things where it's definitely not equal they're buying up millions of acres and we can't buy a square inch over there and there's a lot of people that are saying this is a national national security concern as well, which I tend to agree with. It's not in our best interest to have someone else own all that land, especially you're actually hurting yourself. You're shooting yourself in the foot when they own agricultural land because one of the biggest expor, exports from the United States are agricultural goods. And China traditionally has purchased many of those goods as well. So if they own land, they can just export it to itself. And of course, at a discount, it's, it's one of those things where it's a very unusual situation. I don't understand why that's allowed to keep occurring. Now, going on to the business blunder of the day, PepsiCo unveiled a new logo. Now, the previous logo has been used for 14 years and also has probably spent hundreds of millions of dollars building that brand awareness and building that loyalty to that specific logo. Which traditionally, logos aren't changed too often, but they are changed often enough to refresh the design. It's one of those weird things where there's a debate of, how many times do you change the logo for the longest time blockbuster kept the same logo that's why people can recognize the sign behind me of many generations many many different people can recognize that same iconic tilted ticket stub logo now going to pepsico's logo history the first logo was in 1898 and this is a little long but it kind of shows you the trend of how often they show it or rather how often they change their logo So the first logo was in 1898 the second logo was 1905 The third logo was 1906, the fourth logo wasn't until 1940, fifth logo was 1950, sixth logo was 1962, seventh logo 1973, eighth logo 1991, ninth logo 1998, tenth logo 2003, eleventh logo 2008, twelfth logo 2014. And then the next one is coming out, going to be rolled out in 2024. So that kind of gives you a time frame, it seems to be you know every six to seven years on average, they're changing it up. And the the new logo is going to be made with the PepsiCo logo that's gonna be larger and also it's gonna make the red, white, and blue a little bit of a darker shade and bold the print. And in their statement, they noted PepsiCo noted that quote, the brand's commitment to Pepsi Zero Sugar, unquote. That's why they're having the highlights in that logo. Which, from a certain business perspective, makes sense. You have, co- you have soda companies that are making more money off their bottled water and bottled non-sugar drinks than the traditional you know, 100-year-old Coca-Cola recipe. So it's fascinating to see those trends of consumers moving away from the traditional corn syrup-infused liquid candy bars, soda, into more water, tea, and other alternative drinks that were not originally part of the company's portfolios. So it makes sense for them to emphasize that in that regard. And they plan to roll out the new logo um, next year when it falls and coincides with Pepsi's upcoming 125th anniversary. But nevertheless, I still think it's a business blunder because it's a little bit different. But I just can't fathom how much money they're spending. Soda companies in particular, very similar to the alcoholic beverage industry, a A very disproportionate amount of money is spent on marketing and branding when you compare it to the actual product and cost of goods sold very similar to the insurance industry where it's a lot of advertising to get the name out there and with old-school or legacy beverage companies is to keep that brand down there and to keep you associating it with for example energetic sporting events which is why for you see there are hundred years or darn near hundred years coca-cola sponsored the Olympics so that you associate that brand with those exciting with the wins with the athletics and just imagine how much money they spent building that brand around the old old logo or the incumbent logo that you see right now compared to changing it in 2024 and with so much money spent on it i can't help but think they should have kept on the logo a little bit longer or for the 125th anniversary Maybe tweak it so it's a little bit of a old and new, or incorporate some of the older legacy aspects to it. Maybe add some of the frill or some of the um, fringe design, because they used to have almost like a stencil red design around it. Maybe combine the old and the new, but it's just one of those things where they kind of just kept moving forward, similar to Apple, where most of their marketing is around. The newest greatest things they traditionally don't show a kind of a pan frame of like here's old technology new technology which personally i think that's one of the most compelling advertisements is showing the progress of technology i think that's a really neat idea i wish more companies did it but nevertheless, i i can't help but think that's just the business blunder of the day but thank you so much for tuning in today i cannot thank you enough for subscribing don't forget if you'd like to see more content like this to like subscribe and comment everyone helps and also, don't forget to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone. Just stay safe and fight the good fight.